Hello, this is Congressman Jim Bridenstine. You're listening to the Dr. Sky Show, and I'm looking forward to talking today about the American Space Renaissance Act and the great things that are happening in space. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the exciting show that, of course, we call the Dr. Sky Show, with great guests, as you tell us, from the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, and weather. And we want to make, of course, a big shout-out to our flagship radio station, that is KTAR. That's News Talk 92.3 FM in Phoenix. And many thanks to the many stations around the nation that do air the Dr. Sky Show. We'd also be remiss if we didn't say thank you. And again, a big thanks to our producer, Richard Dugan of radio station KZSB, that's AM 1290 in Santa Barbara, California. Ladies and gentlemen, a very special guest who has a military background and also a big passion for space. And who are we talking about? Representative Representative Jim Bridenstine from Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District. Congressman Jim Bridenstine was elected in 2012 to represent Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee and the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. He, of course, a veteran and a pilot with a lot of flying hours under his belt. But today, as we welcome the congressman to the Dr. Sky Show, the central focus of our interview today is talking about space. And we have a very special guest here, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Representative Jim Bridenstine, here on the Dr. Sky Show. How are you today, sir? I am good, Dr. Sky. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a principle, very much a high honor here to have you, sir, to talk about something that's so important to the listeners of this radio show, and that is the introduction to the American Space Renaissance Act. And, sir, I have to salute you first and thank you for your service to the American military, but also your passion for space. Talk a little bit about your background and why the compass needle now points towards space with you. You bet. So, first of all, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Uh, A couple of things that I I think are important. I'm on the Armed Services Committee, Subcommittee on Strategic Forces. So, this subcommittee is responsible for America's national security space capabilities. So, we we deal with our over-the-horizon communications. We deal with our, what we call, SIBRS constellation, space-based infrared, or missile warning and detection we, we also deal or have oversight on GPS, remote sensing, imagery, uh, pretty much anything that is military space-related, my subcommittee has oversight on. I also, in the last Congress, I chaired the subcommittee on the environment within the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. That particular committee oversees NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, about 40% of NOAA's budget is space-related activities. A couple of constellations in particular, JPSS and GOES, provide uh, the data that feed our numerical weather models so that when we get up in the morning, we can turn on the TV and see what the weather's going to be. Absolutely, Congressman. And I recommend everyone go to the GOES websites because I use them here on the Dr. Sky Show so much. If I'm doing a star party with people, let's say, here in Phoenix for a night at Looking at the Stars... I can't think of a finer website that shows me here the goes west one kilometer visible imagery. So it's great to be talking about such a valuable service, not only what to farmers, for people in aviation, but even the general public. Uh, They need to know where their tax dollars are going. And 
That's a great uh, platform that you have up there, and we want to say thanks to the people who are behind that. So we oh, absolutely, that. and the GOES program is, people don't realize how critical it is. I, I come from Oklahoma, and in Oklahoma, we have a lot of tornadoes, and yes, every sir. year, I have to make phone calls to the family members of people who died in tornadoes. Absolutely. So. What we what we have to do is be better at predicting weather, and and these satellite constellations are critically important for that. I'm Absolutely. also on the science committee subcommittee on space, which oversees NASA. So between the national security space capabilities and the NOAA space capabilities and NASA space capabilities, in my first uh, couple years in Congress, I realized that. Uh, there's a lot of the same challenges and issues in space that all these different space enterprises, all these different agencies of the federal government that have um, enterprises in space, they deal a lot with the same issues and challenges, and yet they're not really collaborating. They're not collaborating really at all. Yes. And so I put together a comprehensive bill, the American Space Renaissance Act, so that we could look at space comprehensively as an instrument of American national power. And when I say comprehensive national power, I'm talking about economically, I'm talking about trade, I'm talking about making sure that the world understands that we are the leader in technology and capability and that the rest of the world wants to partner with us. Um, and, and we want to remain, and this is a challenge, we want to remain the preeminent spacefaring nation and so that's, that's really why I put the American Space Renaissance Act together. I am very excited yes. that under uh, Vice President uh, Pence, we're going to reconstitute the National Space Council, which will take, uh, it'll, I think it'll be a, a big step forward in uh, looking at space collectively as part of America's comprehensive national power, um, which until, until, well, at least as long as I've been in Congress, space has really been a tool for the various federal agencies and not looked at collectively. So, uh, so I think there's a lot of opportunity here. That's what the bill was all about. Of course, it, awesome. addressed, it addressed everything from national security to, to the FAA, which, of course, licenses launches and reentries. Um, it dealt with even the FCC, which licenses communication satellites, and NOAA which, of course, has its own constellations, but also licenses remote sensing satellites. Uh, so, so it was really a very comprehensive bill, and we want to make sure that we're looking at space as, an, as, a, as a domain uh, for national power, not just a tool for various agencies. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us, a very special guest here on the Dr. Sky Show as we come and talk more about space. Uh, Congressman Representative Jim Bridenstine of Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District is joining us here on the Dr. Sky Show, talking about a very important part of what this show is about, Congressman, as you're hearing, talking about space and the passion for it. But I want to jump on to a national security topic that is very much in the news, and I need not remind you and many of the people in the Congress, the threat of North Korea and what may come down to, uh, hopefully, not a shooting war of any kind, but talk a little bit about the the part of this the Space Act and what the Congress is doing and your legislation to help protect America from nations like, say, North Korea that have the intent, at least that's what we hear, of firing an intercontinental ballistic nuclear warhead uh, toward the United States. Hopefully that never happens. Talk a little bit about that. How important yeah, so is th this is the re really a major challenge that we need to address very quickly. 
Um, it, we're living in a situation right now where North Korea is testing nuclear weapons. Um, they're starting to do it even more frequently. At the same time, they're launching medium-range ballistic missiles, uh, and, and, and these could be uh, you know, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. Yes. And, and until, until, uh, up until now, they still have not put the two together, a nuclear warhead on an intercontinental ballistic missile. We as a nation, and I think the rest of the world, uh, we need to prevent North Korea from putting those two together because once they do, it really limits our options. Yes. They, they, they will use those capabilities, an ICBM with a nuclear warhead, they will use that for nuclear blackmail at best, and they will use it for nuclear holocaust at worst. So what we have to do is prevent them from continuing to test these ICBM capabilities. And it is my, in my best judgment, how do you deter them from continuing the development of these capabilities? Well, you deter them by not allowing them to test. When they launch those missiles over international waters, we have no obligation to allow those missiles to land. We have no obligation to, um, to allow those missiles to threaten people. The last salvo that they launched, they launched a series of four, and one of them landed in the exclusive economic zone of Japan. In fact, it, wow. it might have been more than one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, have, they do not have a right to threaten their neighbors in that way. I, I think what we ought to do is we ought to put an Aegis cruiser out there uh, with some SM-3 missiles, and the next time they launch, shoot it down. And, Absolutely. And that will, if they, it, it'd be... It's considered deterrent by denial. If they cannot test their systems, they don't know that their systems are going to work. And we've seen over and over again, a lot of their tests have failed. They've actually either blown up immediately after launch or soon thereafter. Well, we want to prevent them from getting any more data, testing their systems anymore, deny them the opportunity to marry a, a, a nuclear warhead with an ICBM. So, so I, I think we ought to deter them. And, and shooting down a missile with a missile... I think is perfectly appropriate in this case. Well, let's hope, Congressman, as you and the rest of the Congress and hopefully the President, the National Security Staff, of course, all have cool heads and uh, somebody doesn't do something foolish over there because the way it looks right now, as of this particular interview, toward the mid-period of April 2017, it's pretty much what anybody's guess right now what could happen in that particular part of the world. Needless to say, Congressman, you've probably heard it a thousand times, the world seems to be on edge in so many areas of the planet, so let's hope for peace. But again, peace through strength, as the great Ronald Reagan has said. Let's talk a little bit more about the American Space Renaissance Act and how important it is to the America's future in space. I find it fascinating, sir, that you've kind of put everything together here with a very forward-looking plan and one that, of course, is very much actionable. And again, describe a little bit more to the listeners who, who love, love space and want to know exactly what's in that. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, the American Space Renaissance Act um, has something I think important for everybody that is involved in space: national security, uh, of course, civil space, and commercial space. Uh, again, ultimately, what we want to do is bring everything together. Uh, we want to consider space as a as as a domain and, and make it part of America's comprehensive national power. In fact, if you look at what China uh, talks about space, they talk about it as, as part of China's comprehensive national power. At the end of last year, they sent around a memo to all the nations of the world 
um, telling everybody of all their masterful accomplishments and how, how they should be partnering with China. Well, we, we need people to be looking at the United States as the world's leader in space. We want people to be partnering with us, not partnering with China. Yes. Certainly, the United States needs and wants partners in many cases in this era. We have become dependent on others, not partners with others. I think that's a big mistake. Mm-hmm. We need to have our own independence, but at the same time, we need to be the world leader and, and have people you know, getting in behind what, what we're trying to accomplish. So the, the, the American Space Renaissance Act is important for all these reasons, and uh, certainly it's a bill that we're going to continue to push for. Yes, Congressman. And let's say that you were today the head of NASA, if you could just outline some of the agenda that you would, of course, uh, move forward for the American space program. What what kind of priorities and some specifics would you put there? Because I know up till now, the previous administration thought of an asteroid capture mission or some sort of an asteroid mission where many people said, no, we need to go to the moon and or Mars. And many people, of course, think the moon is the gateway. No, I think that's exactly right. When you think about uh, our comprehensive national power, let's, let's, let's start with where China is right now. Yes. China is launching its own Taikonauts on its own rockets to its own space station. Uh, at the same time, they're doing missions to the moon with orbiters, and, and they've landed on the moon with a lander and a rover. And this year, they're going to do a lunar return mission. And next year, for the first time in humanity, China is going to land a a lander and a rover on the backside of the moon. Mm -hmm. They've also demonstrated with their Chang'e missions that not only can they orbit the moon and map the moon and and land on the moon, um, they've also demonstrated that, that they can... Um, fly to the L2 point, you know, 60,000 kilometers yep. on the backside of the moon, and then, and, then, and then hover there for a period of eight months in the, at the L2 point, then fire back up their systems, fly into deep space in formation with an asteroid, and then come back. Now, wow. this presents a capability that we have not seen from uh, competitors of the United States, and that is this. If they can fly to an asteroid and then and fly in formation with an asteroid in deep space, this means that they have another capability that is problematic, which is they could attack geostationary orbit from above. I'm not saying they have that intent, but I'm saying right. they have that capability. Absolutely. Well, yeah, why is geostationary orbit important to the United States? That's where all of our nuclear command and control architecture is, that's where our tactical communication architecture is. Some of our most important, exquisite, billion-dollar satellites are in that orbit, and, and we would not have really any kind of warning before they, before they got attacked. So yes. if that's where China is, let's talk about where the United States is. <clears throat> the United States is launching its astronauts on Russian Soyuz rockets, Right. to get to the International Space Station, for which we built 80% of, although we now don't have access to it on our own. And, and we're not going to the moon at all. Uh, this, this, this presents a, a strategic challenge because the rest of the world, I'm talking about Europe, I'm talking about countries that historically have not even had space programs, the rest of the world is going to the moon. And so how do we lead the world when they're all going a direction we're not going? And they're not exactly yes. partnering with us in our other efforts. 
I believe the moon is... Go ahead. Did you have a question? No, I'm sorry. You make great sense because if we're looking at what China's capable of or what they may be doing, as you described before, from a higher-up position, they could shoot down or attack uh, in any which way they could uh, in in high technology down to the 22,000-mile orbit or where those geostationary satellites... That's very precarious, and I'm glad you're talking about that because I haven't heard anybody yet that I've spoken about even talk about that. So again, kudos, uh, Congressman, for it, talking it's about a big, this. It's a big problem. And in many cases, Dr. Sky, this is the important piece to yes, all sir. of this. You know, it might not be a kinetic attack. Mm-hmm. It, could be, it could be spoofing. It could be jamming. Uh, it could be um, some kind of directed energy attack. It could be something where we just perceive that there's an anomaly, but for some reason we're not able to figure out where that anomaly is coming from, what's causing it. Well, it could be in deep space. It could be beyond geostationary orbit. And so we have to know what's happening throughout all of this lunar space, that space between low Earth orbit and the moon. And and so this this is an area where we need a soft power element. I believe NASA can provide that soft power, uh, and and I think that's important. Um, I also think strategically... There, there's a lot of opportunity on the moon that's being left out right now. For example, hmm. uh, in 2009, we discovered, it was the United States of America that discovered, that there is water ice at the lunar poles. This was yes. in 2009. Mm-hmm. At that point, it should have forever changed the American space policy. We should have been, at that point, sending um, machines and rovers to the poles of the moon to, to extract the water. And ultimately, why, why is that important? Because when you crack water into mm-hmm. its, its, uh, its components, hydrogen and oxygen, well, that's the same lunar, or that's the same propellant, you know, yes. that propelled the space shuttle. So, in essence, you have rocket propulsion on the moon that is available. And we need, we need in, in my, my estimation, we need to be uh, determining what is the best way to harness the water ice on the moon. The other thing that's, I think, important about the moon, there's a lot of ways to talk about the energy resources of the moon. Mm -hmm. People talk about helium-3. You know, this country has not been able to harness the power of of nuclear fusion. I'm not talking about nuclear fission, but nuclear Mm -hmm. fusion. Correct. Uh, Helium-3, of course, would be tremendously valuable um, in in the next 20 or 30 years as nuclear fusion becomes a, a better cleaner, more capable technology for providing electricity for all of America. And I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. Again, we're talking about decades here. Yeah. But having access to that helium-3 on the moon would be tremendously valuable. for well, you're so, Yes, you're so correct, Congressman, because we had former United States Senator Harrison Schmidt and, of course, Apollo 17 astronaut talk about that at length, about the helium-3 isotope. And up, yes. up till now, I haven't heard much more about it. So you're so correct. He, he is a he is a, a, a brilliant geologist. I'll tell you yes. that, and and of course an amazing American hero yes, <laughs> beyond <sir>. being a great <laughs> geologist. And and here's a gentleman who's written a book called Return to the Moon. It's it's one of the one of the best books I've ever read about the strategic importance of us actually going back to the moon. Helium three is of course one component. The other thing is, you know, every one of those pop marks on the moon represents an asteroid collision. Yes. And and each of those asteroids, most of those asteroids are are going to be generally composed of platinum group metals. Uh, these mm-hmm. are very precious, valuable metals that are also important uh, for 
for fuel cells and other forms of clean energy. Uh, so, so, and of course, beyond that, they're just valuable because they're worth a lot of money. You bet. Uh, and of course, so China has an interest in the moon. It's the lunar, it's the lunar ice. It's, it's potentially helium three. I mean, we really don't know, mm-hmm. but also the platinum group metals. So all of these are reasons why um, people are considering the moon. If there, if there truly, are, if there truly are trillions of dollars worth of platinum group metals on the moon, which we don't know if that's true or not. But, it, but if there are, it should be the United States that determines that. The United States should know first. We should have our rovers on the moon making those assessments, not waiting for the Chinese to discover it. Well, I love what I'm hearing, Congressman, and uh, so many Americans and so many people around the world, I'm sure, would agree. But recently, we've uh, been talking to Naveen Jain of Moon Express, and as you know, sir, Moon Express becomes the first private company to get U.S. approval for a lunar mission. I find that statement to be very powerful and something that the mainstream media really doesn't report or didn't report. Your, your comment on that? No, that, that, is, that is a very important point, and it's tremendously valuable for the United States of America. I'm going to tell you what my concern is. Yes. My concern is that they got approved through the, the uh, FAA payload review process, which is mm-hmm. the, the way that launches get licensed in the United States of America from a commercial perspective. Now, the, the challenge with that is that while they got this approval, this, this approval is not based on a regulatory regime with any certainty. And it was very clear when the FAA gave the approval, they, they, they were clear about the fact that they don't even have the authority to give this approval because all they can do is they can approve launch and reentry. But mm-hmm. when you think about these non-traditional space activities, things yep. like uh, commercial habitats, in other words, Commercial space stations, Bigelow is one company that does that. Axiom oh, yeah. is another company that does that. These companies, along with the companies that are launching to the moon, maybe to, to collect platinum group metals, uh, along with uh, companies that are um, doing um, space situational awareness from space, those kind of companies, remote sensing, like the, the space-based lookup capabilities. Yes. Companies that are doing these non-traditional commercial ventures, um, we don't have a regime in the United States that provides certainty for these companies where if you go through this process and you get a determination that, yes, you can launch, then, then you know with certainty that you're going to be able to launch your capability into space. And since we don't have, and I want to be clear, I, I'm a... <laughs> And I know this doesn't. Not all your audience is going to agree with this. I'm a conservative Republican, and I don't want any more regulation than we have to have. But in some circumstances, <laughs> right. it mm-hmm. makes sense to have a regulatory regime that provides the certainty, so that the capital can form and these companies can launch. Because right now, what's happening is you've got companies on the other or countries on the other side of the planet that are that are putting forth regulatory regimes that give companies a high level of certainty to right. do these non-traditional space activities. And these great American companies, of course, they're all new and coming out of the ground. They're going to foreign countries to get the certainty necessary to guarantee that they're going to be able to launch. So wow. we, we, need a, we need a regulatory regime. And I'm not talking about putting regulations on businesses. I'm talking about creating certainty so that people in the United States of America know that they're going to be able to capitalize their companies, launch their capabilities, and ultimately 
receive the benefits uh, from from the return on investment that that is the that is the pride of the American free market system. And yes, right sir. now, a lot of companies don't feel that certainty, and so they're putting their businesses overseas. We need to change that. We need to have a regulatory regime that provides certainty so that we can be the preeminent spacefaring nation and not turn it over to others. Well, Congressman, we're going to call your staff again because I do another show. The audience may not know that here, but a show called The Call to Rights about our constitutional republic. And again, that would make for a great setting to talk about that part. And of course, what we talk about there about our American exceptionalism. And again, it's a privilege and honor to have you. Just a couple of quick questions before the bottom of the hour, and then I'll ask you kindly if you just stay on the line with us as we go to the close at the bottom of the hour. Sure. But Congressman Culberson, we had him as a guest here talking about the Europa mission, and I just wondered if you could talk about deep space plans. Uh, indeed, uh, what, say, what say you about moving on to the planets and then way beyond Mars, uh, even with robotic spacecraft like Congressman Culberson wants the Europa mission to happen? Uh, I'll tell you, Congressman Culberson is one of my favorite members of Congress. He does mm-hmm. so much uh, for, uh, he, he chairs the Commerce, Justice, Science, Appropriations Subcommittee. That's the subcommittee that actually writes the checks for NASA. Yes. And of course, he, he believes with all of his heart that if there is one place in our solar system where there could be life, that life would be on Europa, which of mm. course is a moon of Jupiter. Yes. And, 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 and since he believes that so much, he's willing to put his money where his mouth is. Mm. And of course, he's, he's trying, and he's not just trying, he's making it happen. He's compelling NASA to actually move forward with, as you mentioned, a robotic mission mm-hmm. to Europa to determine if they are able to, if there, if there is life on Europa. When I'm talking about life, I'm talking, of course, about very simple life forms. Sure. His assessment is that you, it, Europa is an ice moon, and as an ice moon, that means the interior, in, inside, um, there, there are oceans under the ice. And we, mm-hmm. we believe there are oceans under the ice because we have seen plumes come from the ice, meaning that the water is coming out and spraying high mm-hmm. into the sky. Europa is, is a smaller moon, so the gravity is, is maybe not so much. So those plumes actually go way out into space, and we're able to detect them. And so yeah. what this means is, if there is water under that ice, the ice is a shield from all of the radiation. And if there are thermal vents, Mm. Inside, uh, deep inside Europa, those thermal vents could actually create the chemistry necessary for life to exist apart from photosynthesis. Like when you go down deep into the deep depths of the, of the oceans of, of planet Earth, there's yes. life down there that nobody would have expected, but it's, it's, it's life because of chemistry, not life because of photosynth- photosynthesis. Well, 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 I think... Congressman Culberson believes that that, that type of life, if it, if it could be found anywhere in the solar system, that's where it could be found. And I fully support him in his effort of trying to find that life, because I think it would be absolutely game-changing uh, for NASA. It would change forever how we, how we view our own solar system, how we view the universe, and, of course, how we conduct exploration. Because once you find life in one area it will start a massive search for life uh, all over our galaxy. Um, 
that, and of course now all these exoplanets that we're discovering. It's amazing. Uh, cer- certainly, there there could be all kinds of different forms of life throughout our own galaxy. So uh, I think it's exciting. I think this mm-hmm. is what NASA's role is. We need to find out: Are we alone in this universe? And I think uh, I think Congressman Culberson is doing the right thing, uh, trying to figure out where is the most likely place to find life. And then, and then doing what's necessary to determine if it's there. Well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, we're speaking today, of course, in this exclusive interview here on the Dr. Sky Show with Congressman Jim Bridenstine of Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District. A proud American. Thank you again for your service to the United States military, sir, and what your passion is for space. There is a renaissance in space with the Space Renaissance Act and American Space Renaissance Act. And I'm hoping that we can speak with you as uh, time goes on. One last question. I know I may not get an answer to it, but uh, it's speculative nonetheless. Your name has come up many times in my reading as a potential to be the director or the head of NASA. And if that is happening, sir, I wish you the best of success because I'm sure what we've heard here in this interview, I love it, and I'm sure many people do. America needs to get back to space. And I appreciate your time, sir. If you'll stay on the line with us as we go to the bottom of the hour break. I really you bet. appreciate it's, your time. It's an honor to be here, Dr. Sky. Thank you for having me. I have interviewed for NASA. I have not heard anything official as far as what my status is, but if, if chosen to serve in that capacity, it would be a high honor. That concludes this exciting edition of the Dr. Sky Show with great guests from the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, and weather, and I'm sure the good congressman and former and always one who flies airplanes in the sky like the F-18 would agree. Always remember to keep your eyes to the skies. Thank you, Congressman Jim Bridenstine of Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District. Thank you, sir.